0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: We always kind of think of the All-Star break as the halfway point, but we're really two-thirds of the way into the NBA season. It is going to be a hell of a sprint after this weekend's All-Star weekend to figure out who's tops in the East, who can get healthy and take over. Are the Suns as good as they look? Are the Warriors still a favorite? So many questions to be answered, but first we've got to have some fun this weekend. Dunking, shooting, skillsing. Celebritying None of those are (laughs) verbs. A couple of those are verbs. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on a Friday on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80, Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. And somehow we've already made it to midway through February. Uh, Something that I realized as I reminded Fitz, like a good person that I am, that I am running out of days to do the polar plunge that I had earned myself. Um, I mean, we said know. end of February. I don't have very many days of February left. I got to check. I got to check the weather for a reasonable one before I jump in the lake.
2: Ever the reasonable co-host. You have a big trip coming up. And if it needs to be right after that trip, I would be understanding. To I appreciate that. You know? that. I appreciate you know, it. just, just
1: keep pushing it till it's a polar plunge in August is what we're <laughs> saying here. Uh, it is mid-February. It is almost uh, almost two-thirds of the way. I mean, we've, we've got the mad rush of really getting a chance to see what teams look like, and we'll get into some of our favorites in the East, um, which is jam-packed five teams either tied for or within two and a half games of the top spot in the East with a lot of injuries and trades that are going to make teams look different as they make that final push. But let's talk about some of the fun stuff this weekend fits some new formats for some of it um and let's make this straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless because if we can't talk straight about jack harlow and DeErica hamby and miles garrett going off in the celeb game we you know when can we when can we uh by the way i want to see DeErica hamby post up like quavo or jack harlow or one of those uh smaller but big time celebrities
2: yeah one of those guys that you know like that that person on every tour is somebody it feels like they're you know ready for the nba just a couple of different <laughs> breaks and they'd be an nba player instead of an artist like that happens all the time right. so i i really need to see that happen you know th- there's any element to have a little bit of a humbling experience for some of the musicians that are out there playing uh, playing athlete, I think, is only good for everybody they tour with. Keeps egos in check. And there is something about the personalities of the celebrity game that I think is is particularly fun. For me, you know, growing up as a kid, it was always about the dunk contest. Now, I think the celebrity game at this point is actually more enjoyable to watch top to bottom.
1: Look at that ESPN employee. Promoting the elements that are on ESPN. Starting right now. Feel free to not change the channel, though. Just do a double screen. Flip it on while you're still listening to Spain and Fitz here. But yeah, uh, your girl from the Aces, we could see whether she wants to make... Uh, make make it painful for some of these guys out there. Uh, among the many that are competing right now uh, on ESPN as the Celebrity Game kicks off and the All-Star Weekend kicks off. New format for the Rising Stars. Instead of one game, there are three. So it's a sort of four-team mini-tournament with 12 rookies, 12 sophomores, and then four players from the G League Ignite team making up the rosters. Uh, what I'll probably do on that is hit the old DVR fits and then spin through it. I want to see how my boy Io... For- Does from the Bulls one of uh, the revelations? uh, Young rookie outplaying his expectations out of U of I here with the Bulls, Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm quite in in the need to watch an entire mini tournament of all the young stars.
2: Yeah, and and this is what's always weird for me because these young stars are dynamic and they're part of how the league builds moving forward. But also, they're young stars. Like So, for me, when I think of the All-Star game in general, I always think of the best of the best. Not the best of the best that happen to be at a certain age group or a certain spot in their league. That being said, I think Scoot Henderson uh, is the player out of Ignite that a lot of people are looking at. And if you don't remember Scoot, uh, trust me, I didn't either. Had to look it up. He signed a two-year contract worth a million bucks to join the G League uh-huh. after his junior year of high school. So... When you start talking about those opportunities for guys at that point, like I think if you're an NBA head, it's fun to watch guys like that play and see how they can compete against guys that are in the league right now. So there is something to that that I think could be interesting. But still, when I think best of the best for the All-Star, I think best of the best, not best of the best that happen to be young versus best of the best that aren't.
1: P.J. Carlisimo is someone who is pumped about the young folks. He was on uh, ESPN Radio today talking about it. And I think his point is a valid one that – a lot of these young players, especially if they're on the up-and-up, and they expect to have really great, long-lasting careers, they want their first All-Star experience to be memorable. They look back, they hear about Kobe, Michael, the guys that had their first experience with the All-Star and, and, and announced themselves. So PJ talked about some of those young guys.
3: We've got so many more players who probably aren't ready. Uh, you know, Everybody points to the ones who come in and thrive and say, well, look, this guy was ready. There's a whole lot of other guys that aren't ready. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 it's interesting, but it just makes for a, a very, very different league and a very, very different All-Star weekend. I think you got a lot more young players here. Uh, this, the Rising Stars game, the, the, even the skills competition on, on Saturday, uh, it's driven by so many younger players, and they enjoy it. I think they're looking forward to it. Uh, it's always interesting to me to see the young guys. I was lucky enough to coach in the game once and when i was an assistant to pop and coached in in those days it was the rookie sophomore game and the sophomores we played against i was coaching the rookie team was it was lebron carmelo and those guys it was unbelievable uh to, to go against them but i love watching the young guys
1: yeah and i think you know worth worth noting too is is kind of what he alluded to is the changing of the guard there are still these incredible superstar players but it's kind of nearing the end for some of them we're we're counting down the last couple years of LeBron and some of the players and really ushering in the Trey Youngs and the John Morants and some of those guys and so that's kind of an it can be awkward at times fits as fans of the league and it's also really exciting
2: yeah and and there is sort of a different level of excitement I think for any first-timer we just saw that from the Pro Bowl looking at some of the younger guys from the NFL that were playing in the Pro Bowl for the first time you could see a different level of give-a-damn to the entire process. And I think that's probably pretty real to the point that so many people did grow up watching the era that uh, Carlos Moe was just uh, referencing. And so y- you have this soaking in where you say, hey, I really made it. Like, I have made it to this point. In the league, the hardest part, you and I talk a lot about this, is that sometimes as sports fans, we don't really get to know some of the younger players until their stories are told through the playoffs and more of their narrative is crafted. So, you know, this is another opportunity to get to go know guys like Ja if, if you know, you're in the, uh, a fan of the league and haven't paid a lot of attention. But still, it's like always which came first, the chicken or the egg and the great stories. Like sometimes right. we just we need these stories to start hitting us to, to become more invested.
1: The legend and the lore begins. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. All-star weekend festivities starting right now on ESPN with the Celebrity Game. Uh, You also have the new format for the Skills Challenge, which is going to be tomorrow night alongside 3-Point and Dunk. There's going to be three teams, the Antetokounmpo Brothers... The Cavs trio of Jared Allen, Darius Garland, and Evan Mobley, and then three rookies in Scotty Barnes, Cade Cunningham, and Josh Giddy. And they're going to have a four round competition for the skills. And then we'll have a first time three point contest champion everybody's new there and we'll have a first time dunk contest champion. Everybody's new there as well. Um, or at least hasn't won before. Cause Obi Toppin is making his second appearance. He was a runner up last year and, uh, Trey young and Zach Levine have both competed at the three point, but have not yet won it. So, um, I, I, my money's on Zach, of course. I'm rooting for all the Bulls. I love the ideal of Carl Anthony Towns, though, as a big who used to sometimes shoot threes. I love when the big men slide into this competition. Um, and uh, I got Jalen Green in the dunk contest.
2: I'm with you on Jalen Green in the dunk contest. By the way, the dunk contest, I mean – uh, you mentioned Tobin had been there before, but it's not like it was super impressive. I know he finished second, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, I, I think we're all so desensitized. Like, how much more can you do in a dunk at this point? But I'll take Trey Young in a three-point contest just because I want that level of swagger for the rest of the year. Like, I, I mm-hmm. want Trey Young having that talk that he can just talk like to everybody. he needs more. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I, it, it's to me that's part of the delight of Trey and of all things Hawks. So I'll take Trey in that. Uh, but, yeah, Jalen Green in the slam dunk contest. But what, what's he going to do? Like, Line up 18 people and, you know, like right. push up I mean, over them while they dunk. All I'll so.
1: say is that all we've done is complain about the dunk contest for years since back in the day when it really was the best. Vince Carter, Nick, MJ. We complain a lot about the super, superstars, the highest flying people not competing. But we got Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon back in 2016, and that was one of the best ever. So you just never know what's coming. I remember Dwight Howard as Superman, Blake Griffin over the car. Like there are those moments that sometimes go viral as opposed to the whole competition being compelling. But I'm here for it. I'm I'm excited to see if they can bring the good stuff tonight and the rest of the weekend. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Coming up next, some news in college football today that we got. We'll get into it.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast.
1: It's Spain and Fitz on a friday. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Some college football news today. Uh, we're going to get back to the NBA. We've got um, some interesting stuff to talk about with Anthony Davis, different diagnosis, and more All-Star and NBA at the break. But quickly wanted to get your reaction. You're the resident college football guy around here. The report came in today that the playoff will remain at four teams, and will remain at four teams For a long time, this is not just what we've heard recently, which is the continuing push of expansion to later dates of meetings and and conversations, but through 2025, when the current 12-year contract expires, Fitz, I thought a lot of the meetings and time uh, spent, hours in in those meetings by the folks in charge, would lead to a decision to make the money and expand the interest and opportunity before that contract ends, and uh, it's dead in the water.
2: Yeah, I think that's the biggest surprise about it, Sarah, because realistically I didn't expect anything now. But for them to have essentially closed the door on it all the way through this TV contract was a little shocking to me. Also shocking, according to Nicole Arbach of The Athletic, uh, that it was an 8-3 to three vote. It needed to be unanimous. And according to The Athletic, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 voted against it. So for all this conversation about the SEC and blah, 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 like – it was actually the ACC and the Pac-12 were the two biggest surprises. Like, I understand why a conference like the Big Ten would step back and say, no, I don't know, like, things are pretty good for us right now. But if you're the Pac-12, you've been battling for the opportunity to be included in a broader playoff field that would give you more opportunities to shine nationally. I- I'm stunned to see that the Pac-12, uh, and-, and certainly this comes down to money and so many other things, but I'm stunned to see that that was their decision.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of a summation of, of why at least Adam Rittenberg, ESPN's college football senior writer, thinks that this did not happen.
3: There's some issues that are related to college football, that are, but also everything that's going on in the college sports landscape. You know, some of the things that ACC Commissioner uh, Jim Phillips cited in, in terms of their hesitancy to move forward with the expansion. I think there's still some items around revenue sharing that uh, that, that need to be ironed out and also exactly... Um, where the the bowl system will, will factor in, especially trying to protect some of the the traditional relationships. There was uh, too many new commissioners, too many big things going on in the sport at the time in 2021, and unfortunately, that's why we're here with uh, with basically the end to this uh, this expansion process.
2: Uh, uh, Sarah, like I hear that, and I just have to quickly say, like all of that makes a little bit of sense, but all of it sort of doesn't too because what else have you been working like i don't care if you're a new commissioner what's been more important than figuring out revenues for the, the sport that funds everything else mm-hmm. like i i just i have a hard time figuring out why commissioners haven't been only focused on this to the point that hey we're ready for whatever this is how we're going to work in a new universe like this is this is a lost opportunity for revenue to be worked out and instead they're able to fall behind the the curtain of hey we can't figure out the money so we're just we're going to wait right. 4 years like that feels gross
1: yeah, it felt like, you know, some of the push for things that not everyone could agree on whether it was automatic bids for the Power 5 um that didn't really have support outside the alliance or the ACC still kind of messing around with the idea of an 8 team model, all of the stuff and the ideas that people couldn't agree on eventually led to them not agreeing on anything. Um, I think player health and safety is important, extra game or two. That's something you need to talk about. You need to ask the players and everybody about their incentives. But now that they have NIL rights and the ability to earn off of those games, maybe there is more of an incentive for them to want to play. Right. And I do think blowouts and semifinals that aren't interesting is certainly an element to discuss when you're talking about expansion. But I would rather have a less interesting semi-final blowout and feel like you get to answer the question of what if then have the same couple teams in every year and have teams like UCF that never get a shot or have other teams, other entities that never really start the season with the hope of being included and involved. Now I know college football more so than other sports, isn't really about the winner the same way it is in others. A lot of it is just the, the process and the fun and the pageantry and the games and everything else. But I think you could include a whole lot more people and keep it interesting all year long for a lot more people and make a whole lot more money and do right by a lot of people. If you could just agree on some of the aspects that, that hung them up because of, greed and actually fear fear of the other side
2: yeah I don't disagree with anything you just said and frankly if the national championship games are always going to be blowouts who cares like Mm -hmm. playoff games are interesting and uh, at, at playoff games give us stories to look forward to. And we saw it in the NFL this year. Like there was one weekend that were full of dud playoff games, but we still talked about them for days leading up and days afterwards. Yep. I mean, I do think that there's a big win in that concept, but the one way that college football does win by not expanding is that we'll continue to get overly worked up every single Tuesday for a month <laughs> and a half when the rankings come out that don't really mm-hmm. matter. Like I love that they matter enough that people watch the shows we host on them, but my God, of like it, it, that's the one way college football is going to win. Because I don't think expansion would provide for that same yelling every week.
1: Although it might provide more because think about how many more of those spots are important right? Yeah, so
2: suddenly everybody's yelling about whether or not they're the, the six or the seven. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I gosh, mean, yeah. it
1: starts to matter. <laughs> uh, it's Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget, tune in tomorrow for college basketball action as Virginia tech hosts UNC coverage begins at three 30 PM Eastern on ESPN radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz is presented by progressive insurance, cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at progressive.com. So Fitz, we're going to have Ramona Shelburne join us in a minute here and talk some of the NBA at the midpoint. And she obviously is on the Lakers beat a lot. lot. And I found myself today, as we talked about it on the Round the Horn, really leaning towards the idea of the Lakers trading Anthony Davis in the offseason, looking around and saying, this is not the guy to be our A1 in the future. We have one more year of LeBron under contract. We have not really hardly any pieces that moving forward you build around. Got a bunch of old heads and a bunch of dudes that were great at one point, but are not the future. So do you have to look at the constant injury, and the fact that even when he was playing, he still didn't look like the A1 superstar that we used to imagine him to be. And do you say now we could get him for some pieces, the longer we wait, and the more damaged he looks, the less likely we could shop him? And we're still the Lakers. We can get people to want to come here in free agency. We can get that star in free agency. We just need to use this trade to get the piece. I mean, I say this in part because the news got updated that he's going to be out four weeks. And with that, I've sort of started looking at next year instead of the end of this year yeah. for the Lakers.
2: But you're not wrong. And I think that's the biggest fail for the Lakers. Like, uh, we yes, we had real conversations about championship aspirations. Now, if you're the Lakers, you have to look around and say, well, that didn't happen. We don't know how much longer we'll have whatever version of LeBron that we're, we're getting right now. And the whole plan was always built around while LeBron fades at some point, AD grows, and then all of a sudden the, the baton is passed and the Lakers are fine for a generation. Now you've got real questions about health. You've got questions about uh, availability for AD, and, and you've got to look at it if you're the Lakers and say this thing has gone as awful as it possibly could because they are not in contention And they don't have the building block anymore. So, yeah, I think everything is up for reexamination if you're the Lakers this year. And you have to be as aggressive with your next three or five years as you were a couple of years ago when you went out and got AD. The problem is they've leveraged so much to get where they are. And they've given up players that turns out might be pretty good to get where they are. And all of a sudden now they may have to press the reset button a a second late with less in their uh, kitty to be able to reset with.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the end, the uh, Lakers got a title. Whether or not you think it has an asterisk is up to you, and we won't debate that again. They did get a title out of the acquisition of LeBron. They did get a title out of the acquisition of Anthony Davis. But when they move on, the good news for them is that they likely will not have to rebuild for long because they're the Lakers. You're know, you a team that's going to draw superstars. You're a team that's always going to be kind of in it, Um, so you can't hang your heads too much if this doesn't produce more than that. But you have to agree that when they acquired Anthony Davis and gave up a whole bunch for him, the idea was that he would take the reins from LeBron, and I don't see that anymore. Ramona Shelburne,
2: joining us next here, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
2: Yeah, shame on me. You know, you think sometimes in the current environment, maybe people will think things through and and do different things. But sometimes all you end up is getting the same result. Over and over and over again. And that's what the NFL is going to do when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, you know the story well at this point. We talked about it a few days ago. The Dallas Cowboys uh, has settled it, had settled a, uh, a lawsuit for $2.4 million with four members of their cheerleading squad who accused a now former team exec of voyeurism in their locker room. That was back in 2015. And there was a great story by Don Vanatta Jr. Uh, out on ESPN.com uh, that broke it all down. We tweeted it out. It was there for you, uh, including so many of the allegations. Well, we now know that the NFL will not be opening an investigation into the events. And the quote, when it came to why, according to NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy, the quote, the club handled the matter. Well, I, Sarah, mm-hmm. I guess what's what's curious to me is how do you know if you don't investigate? Like you're just taking the club on their word that this super secret settlement that we didn't know about was handled. Like I, that just yep. seems like you're presuming a lot in that process.
1: Well, an important note: you said lawsuit. It wasn't a lawsuit. There would be more information, right? If it had actually been a legal filing, it was a confidential settlement. Confidential settlement.
2: settlement. Yes. A confidential
1: correct. settlement. When 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 McCarthy Brian McCarthy, the nFL spokesman, says the club handled the matter, what was the matter? Will you tell us brian what was at what was at stake here? What did they settle for? Why did they settle? Why was Dalrymple still employed for six years after that because that's really it we're not surprised at all. That the Cowboys might continue to employ someone even after finding wrongdoing, even after paying out a settlement. Although the surprising part might be that Jerry Jones' own daughter, the highest-ranking woman at the team, would be the victim of one of these incidents, and yet they would keep him employed? Because I have to ask, at what point do we believe that any owner is going to do anything right by the women that work for them if the owner's own daughter can be victimized and the person will remain employed and the issue will be made to go away, right? Uh, This is a guy who worked for them for, what, 30 years and just retired as soon as ESPN started investigating this incident, said it was unrelated. Interesting timing on that. (laughs) All of this just adds to a growing recognition of something we've already known about the NFL, but I think the, he- the heat is getting hotter. If you combine this with everything going on with the Washington Commanders, the Congress roundtable questioning the transparency of the league into the allegations of workplace sexual harassment there, and then you look at this, where the answer is, is essentially the, the Cowboys told us they have it figured out, but they're unwilling to show us the alleged evidence that they have that proves Dalrymple's innocence, and we're not going to get into the details as to why he retired when you started digging around.
2: How can they know any of that without talking to so many people in the process? That's the hardest part for me to understand. Like what what I, in my mind, with everything going on that you just mentioned with Congress, this is a perfect time for the NFL to come out and say, I'm not going to do that again. Like, right. we're going to make sure that we investigate all this. If they because, cared. Right, yeah, right. right. And, and so in that moment... I, you know, if I were Roger Goodell and uh, had my private jet, my big fat paycheck, the one thing that I would at least make sure I do here is talk to everybody involved in the process and then make a real decision. And when I come out and say, we're not going to investigate, it would be under the, hey, we've talked to the team. We've talked to the people that filed these complaints. They made all of the information available to us. We feel confident it was all handled. Like, tell me what you did to make the decision, and maybe I'll give you benefit of the doubt. but. If there's anything that the NFL no longer deserves, it's any of the benefit of the doubt. So, yeah. like, in my mind, coming in and saying, well, the team handled it. Like, based on what? And and how did we figure that out so quickly? And who did you talk to? And why would you, for the love of God, take their word for it? Right. Investigations don't work that way. Like, you, you got to at least look into it, don't you?
1: Yeah, it's Spade and Fitz, Spain, Jason Fitz. I mean, in that same vein, the NFL announcing that they're hiring the ex-Securities and Exchange Commission chair, Mary Jo White, to investigate Dan Snyder and to look into the new allegations that arose during that Congress roundtable. Okay, I guess that's one step better than the commanders investigating themselves and then not releasing it. They say it will release a written report publicly, something that was not offered after that initial investigation into the culture in Washington, But why would I believe that the NFL would care about it being a thorough investigation? Why would I believe that Dan Snyder or anyone involved would actually cooperate, especially after the reporting done by The Washington Post that Dan Snyder was allegedly intimidating witnesses and calling former employees and their families and trying to get them not to talk? And then they hid a lot of the information, and then they strategically told us that John Gruden was the only person whose emails had anything in them. And then they tried to sell us on Dan Snyder's fine. Let's fine him $10 million, and his wife is in charge now. Okay, sure. So why would I believe that the NFL doing their own investigation and then releasing the results is going to give us anything other than exactly what they want us to know?
2: You know? The one thing I needed from the NFL statement every time they made it about this investigation was this time. Like, hey, this time we're going to do it in writing, and this time we're going to do it throughout. Like, at least acknowledge that you didn't last time. And that's what I think is so – and I say la- – let's say laughable about it. Nothing about what's happened is funny. But when you watch the way this has all gone down from the NFL, it's just – it feels like how many times are we all going to just bury our head in the sand and say, oh, okay, yeah, cool, the NFL really cares. Like, they don't, and I- I'm curious why this time they're going to get everything in writing without acknowledging why they didn't well, last time.
1: one reason is because uh – uh Congress has been pushing them to be more transparent. And if they are not satisfied with the documents that they receive, if the information reveals a need for more action, they could opt to issue some subpoenas or hold hearings or argue that the NFL has not held Snyder accountable, has not been transparent about looking into the allegations and the accusations. So at this point, there is some other force at play beyond the meat shield that is Roger Goodell.
2: (laughs) I love meat shield the way, uh, he is. The way that, that He's ends. a meat
1: shield for the owners. They throw him out there. He has to answer the questions. He has to allege you know, that, that things are being done correctly, and then all the owners get to act like something's been done when nothing ever has. Well, Congress and, is not listening and allowing that anymore.
2: And to that point, by the way, for anyone that thinks that there's a problem with the NFL, there obviously is. And according to a report in Sports Business Journal published on Friday, Roger Goodell Uh, is looking at an extension. And remember, at the time when he did his last extension, everybody thought that That would be his last deal. In fact, uh, that was the way they couched it at the time. An NFL spokesman said it would be the last contract for Goodell. He's 63 (laughs) at this point, and now they're negotiating negotiating an extension. Why are they negotiating an extension? Because he'll take the egg on his face all day for the $40 million he makes a year or some years. I mean, you you look at the amount of money that that he gets paid, and to your point, you called him the the meat shield. I, I think there's some truth here that everybody needs to remember like roger goodell doesn't really have any power it's the 32 owners that he mm-hmm. works for that have the power but we don't yell at the owners of the individual teams we yell at roger goodell and he's doing his job really well apparently because we yell at him and the owners are like no this is this is working guys like this is, we're being investigated by congress we're not even checking this cowboys thing out we're managing to get through all of this let's resign the guy like they're happy with the job because he's managed to keep everybody just nodding their head marching in place and saying no worries Roger's got it
1: Well, that's part of it, and it's more so that the product is an addiction. How serious and how bad does what the NFL is doing need to be for us to, to kick the narcotic, whether that's CTE, whether that's settling a lawsuit where they weren't paying out the brain injuries of black athletes because they started from a different baseline of intelligence. That's how they were arguing that they did not need to pay out the settlements to black athletes by absolute undeniable racism, whether it's the culture in Washington, in Dallas, uh, Kellen Kaepernick. I mean, the list goes on. And yet we show up on Sundays because the product is that good. And that's why there is maybe only faith in something like Congress being able to make a dent.
2: Well, and and it all comes back to, as I said, after the Super Bowl ratings, you're right. like. And no matter how much we try to have deep conversations, I'm not sure anybody wants to hear it as long as they get the football they want the Mm -hmm. way they want it. Uh, Speaking of deep conversations, one of the toughest topics in sports, we're going to break it down for you next with an expert. It's Spain and Fitz hanging out with you on ESPN Radio. And as always, we're also on the ESPN app.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Friday, you got Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. Spain & Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Happy to welcome in Katie Barnes, who's been doing a fantastic job covering University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas, who became an Ivy League champion, Uh, the Ivy Championship's ongoing competition yesterday, Thomas, who is a transgender woman, won the 500-yard freestyle uh, and won it in in a pool record and her best time since December. Um, Katie's been covering the reaction from those who support Leah and those who are perhaps against Leah's ability to participate. Katie, how would you sort of sum up the two sides of the debate that has resulted from Leah Thomas swimming for the women's team at Penn?
4: So I think, you know, it really boils down to Actually, things are kind of easy to digest. There are people who really don't think it's fair for her to compete because she was assigned male at birth, went through testosterone-driven puberty, um, and then transitioned to after that and had swum actually on the the University of Pennsylvania men's team for three seasons before joining the women's team this season. And then for those who support Leah, um, the argument is there are lots of advantages uh, in sports. Testosterone-driven puberty is one advantage. It's not the only advantage. Um, And that, you know, sports participation is about humanity. It's about access. It's not just about winning championships and medals and breaking records.
2: So how would you say teammates, coaches, opponents, everybody has reacted that's in her circle?
4: You know, honestly, the reaction has been very quiet, with the exception of uh, kind of a flurry of letters um, between parties. You know, Penn has been – you know, really quiet, you know, Leah has not uh, done any media, uh, but, you know, the head coach has not done any media um, at the Ivy league championships. You have know, submitted a ton of requests for uh, not just folks at Penn, but, it, but, but for swimmers and coaches at other programs, I've been turned down for all of them. Um, and so really the only glimpses that we have are through anonymous comments uh, to various media outlets throughout the season from some of Leah's teammates that have criticized her. Um, And then we also have, you know, this unsigned statement that I was given from Penn Athletics that was supposedly from several of Leah's teammates that were supporting her. Um, And then there's a letter that was submitted to the Ivy League and the NCAA um, from Nancy Hogshead-Maker on behalf of 16, again, unnamed Penn swimmers and their families um, advocating for Leah to not be allowed to participate in the women's competition. So, We don't have a lot except for these little things that kind of leak out. And by and large, it's been really anonymous. It wasn't until I talked to Andy Myers yesterday that I got somebody on the record on either side of this issue to say their position. um, And Andy just happens to support Leah.
1: Yeah. In Katie's story on ESPN.com, you write about – and Andy Myers wearing a, a transgender flag Thursday. Um, and there have been some noteworthy people in the swimming world who have come out publicly to support uh, Leah's ability to compete. What's next for Leah in terms of competition, I, I think, tonight and then and then NCAAs? And, and how are NCAAs sort of a little complicated with rules that have been changed but not yet put into effect?
4: Yeah, so Leah's going to be swimming the 200-yard freestyle final tonight. Uh, She set a pool record in that event earlier today in the prelims. Uh, She is favored in that event. And then later this week, she will either be swimming the 100 free or the 1650 free. We're not sure which. And then looking forward to NCAAs, uh, she has secured an automatic bid in the 200 and the 500 um, and is in contention around the 100 and the 1650. Again, it just kind of depends on what she ends up swimming uh, this week. Um, and then, you know, the NCAA has been really complicated. The rules have been moving ever since the middle of January um, when the NCAA decided that they were going to institute a new policy uh, that would phase out the existing rules governing transgender participation. And I won't get too much into the weeds, but basically the NCAA rules prior to, you know, a month ago was that you, know, you had to suppress your testosterone for a calendar year to compete in the women's category if you were a transgender woman. Uh, we have fulfilled that. Um, as she has stated publicly in the one interview that she's done. But then the NCAA was like, oh, well, we're going to try something different in the middle of the season. And so they were going to go with a sports specific approach and defer to the national governing bodies, uh, which then kick this whole flurry of activity around what policy was going to be used for the NCAAs, how was that going to affect Leah Thomas's eligibility, if at all. And where the dust kind of settled was that You know, any athlete who is a transgender woman who wants to participate in the NCAA Women's Swimming and Diving Championships, read Leah Thomas, um, basically you have to be in compliance with the previous policy that was uh, changed last month and also submit a one-time testosterone serum level under 10, 10 nanomoles per liter. So assuming that Leah can meet that standard, she is eligible for the NCAA Championships. Nobody has said whether or not she will be swimming um, but it is
2: expected for her to compete. So, Katie, you've done great work on this, and I i just want to ask you an awkward question. And, you know, we don't know each other, so I, I'm always really transparent with people that don't know me. Uh, LGBTQ rights are something I fight really hard for, and I want to be an expert on this topic because I want to be a great advocate, and I'm not, and I'm trying to figure it out. So help me understand the right answer when someone comes in and just says flat out that somebody that used to be a man has a huge advantage competitively and shouldn't be able to compete against girls?
4: Well, I don't know if it's for me to say what the right answer to that question is, uh, whether or not somebody who is a side male at birth can compete in the girls' and women's category. I think what is important to recognize is that whenever this topic comes up, you know... It's basically three or four conversations happening simultaneously that are very different. So context on this issue really matters. You know, a policy that might be appropriate for the Olympic level or the NCAA Division I level, for example, may not be appropriate. When we're talking about youth, when we're talking about recreational sports or intramural sports, you know, the age and level of competition and stakes of that competition really matter in this conversation. And I think right now we're sort of operating at a place where very few people are making those distinctions, and certainly in public discourse that is not happening, Um, which is why, you know, you have, you know, Leah Thomas being referenced as a reason for why legislation needs to be passed that would restrict, you know, access for transgender girls all the way down to elementary school, um, you know, restrict their access to sports uh, in the girls and women 's category, and you know, those two things are very, very different conversations that 's not just my, like my personal opinion that 's a scientific fact uh, in terms of all of the reporting that i 've done with endocrinologists with physicians, um, with people who are policymakers in this space you know a seven year old is not the same as a twenty two year old and they shouldn 't be treated the same and so I think sometimes that also gets really lost in this conversation. We act like we're talking about the same things at all times, in all contexts, and we're not.
1: That's such a great answer. Katie Barnes, who writes for ESPNW and has done incredible work covering Leah Thomas, the transgender female swimmer from Pennsylvania, uh, with us here on Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, Katie, we could, we could go on forever because I think you brought up so many elements. I think the policy changes at the youth, collegiate, and pro level are incredibly important. I think understanding the demands of these athletes and their humanity when folks are asking for policies without understanding that that may in, in, encompass um, genital inspections, uh, forced medical procedures that aren't desired, um, uh, unnecessary and unproven demands of testosterone levels that can even affect Uh, women who are assigned female at birth and have always lived as women and who are then told because of a testosterone rating that they are not women and they cannot compete. These things are all coming up as we continue to research this. And I think that, it means that an open mind and an open heart is so required when we talk about it, mm-hmm. and I, I I think you've done such a fantastic job of bringing the facts in this story while constantly reminding people that it's people at the heart of it that are being pulled apart in, in the conversations from both sides. And when we remind ourselves that sport is about so much more than just who wins, I think it it recenters us on what it must mean for Leah Thomas to be included. And to feel like um, her body is doing for her what uh, she works for, and and that it's in competition against women, which is what she is, and that's I think the first step for everyone in these stories.
4: Yeah, and I thank you guys for open, like being open to having this conversation. That's a really charged issue. Uh, it's a very emotional issue, and sometimes I think even just by entertaining dialogue um, that creates. The sense that, oh, even just by holding multiple perspectives, by considering multiple perspectives, you're taking the side of one of those perspectives. And as a journalist, I think it's my job and my duty to be able to hold um, in tension all of these perspectives and all of these thoughts mm-hmm. and these ideas, because this is really unsettled science, very disputed territory and a contested issue. And so by definition, there are going to be many opinions floating out um, some more informed than others.
1: Absolutely. And I will say this much, Katie, uh, we, we tend to uh, suspect that uh, women, LGBTQ plus people, people of color can't separate their identities from their stories, but we never question the same of the majority of the reporting that's done by white men. So... Uh, just wanted to get that out there in terms of who can accurately and fairly cover stories, despite identity whatever their own today, so identity you. and experiences, but that's a whole other show. Uh, Katie, thanks so much for the time. Great work. Thanks, Katie.
4: Uh, thanks for having me.
1: Awesome stuff from Katie Barnes. Highly recommend you follow them and, uh, their work on this because, uh, as we all just discussed really hard conversation to have. If you don't educate yourself at Katie underscore Barnes three is where you can follow them. We'll talk a little bit more about this next year on Spain and fits
0: Spain and fits the podcast.
1: Just had a great conversation with Katie Barnes about Leah Thomas, the UPenn swimmer who is in the midst of competing in the Ivy swim championships and has gotten a lot of attention as a transgender woman competing at the division one level, uh, with other women. And, Fitz, I want to have a a bit more of this conversation with you. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, This is a really tricky subject. It is not a simple uh, one to talk about, especially if the people involved are not educated. And I would encourage folks who are intrigued by this story, who are interested by the larger impact of trans inclusion from the youth to collegiate, to professional, to Olympic level, which are all very different conversations and policies uh, to discuss um, that they start following some folks who are experts in this. Chris Mosier is a great resource and one that I often go to Um, and, and game uh, changing the game is an excellent documentary. You can watch about a couple different uh, trans athletes competing At the youth level, trying to make their way through sports and and inclusion. Uh, I think that's where you start is sort of an understanding of what would lead someone to transition and to choose to live um, their authentic life, uh, regardless of what they were assigned at birth. And I think if you can't get your head around that. And the internal struggle, the outer challenges, everything that goes into making that decision, that's the first step toward understanding wanting to then be included in participating in sport as the gender with which you identify. And so much of the conversation around Leah Thomas, I think, requires you to first accept that Leah Thomas is a woman. So if you're against her participation because your argument is that it's not good for women's sports or that they are taking something from women and female athletes you've already denied Leah Thomas the identity. Um, And and I think that's the place to start. After that, we can certainly talk about how some of the potential uh, um, advantages of of going through male puberty, of just being assigned male at birth, regardless of when you start your your testosterone or hormonal changes. Um, We could talk about that. But I think first you have to accept that these these folks want to compete with other people like them.
2: This is a difficult conversation and a conversation that I think requires nuance. And I only qualify that because I think what, what I've already seen in my life so far trying to have this conversation with people on both sides of it is that a lot of times it's easy to sweep everybody into a generalized, like this is, you know, the number of times I've heard people say, well, you know, trans athletes are just trying to get an advantage, which makes no sense. And I understand that it makes no sense. I also hear people on the other side say, well, you are only against it if uh, insert theory here. I think there's a lot of middle ground and this is a gray area for people because it's an area that lacks a lot of understanding. And I think Riali was the one that earlier today talked about needing to get more education on it and, I think that's a smart starting point for all of us, myself included. Like, I want to be so transparent here about the fact that this has been an, an interesting issue for me to wrap my head around. Because I feel like, in my mind, I look at it and say... Well, humanity matters more than anything, as we just uh, you know talked to Katie about. Like, humanity is the most important part of this. So, if somebody wants to participate in this sport, that we need to find a way to make that happen. I can also say that while at the same time saying I have I have really struggled to navigate how to do that in a way that feels fair in my mind. When you know you you read so much about the physical advantages that can come through going through puberty as a male and then making that transition. So. All of it to say, for me, it's about searching for knowledge and understanding and trying to navigate the concept of what's fair versus in my mind versus what's fair for a human being. And those are those are things that are difficult to negotiate. And I, I think it's it's important to be so real about that part of this conversation, but also say, like, am I coming at it from an angle of trying to get better understanding so that we can all understand this in a way that we can do the right thing for everybody? And that's that's difficult to do.
1: Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I don't think it helps anyone to ignore the realities, right, uh, that are at play here. And I think you have to be realistic about the potential for a transgender woman to beat cisgender women um, and for that to potentially be in part due to physical advantages that came from being assigned male at birth. But you also can look at someone like the aforementioned Chris Mosier, who is a transgender male. And he competing for Team USA at the national level in sports, who is defying all expectations and all quote-unquote rules about why we care when it's transgender women and we don't seem to care when it's transgender men. Chris is a Hall of Fame triathlete, an all-American duathlete, six-time member of Team USA, and rarely faces the criticism that Leah Thomas does because as a transgender male, the idea is that women, it's just insane that, that, uh, that a person assigned woman at birth would be able to compete with the guys. But when it's the opposite, there is immediate assumption about testosterone and other things. And while there is some Veracity to that what we've also found is that in certain sports track and field being one of them the sports where testosterone has been proven via research and natural levels of testosterone in different competitors have shown that the ones with higher testosterone tend to perform better are not the ones we often regulate the ones we most often regulate are the ones that involve black women. So someone like Castor Semenya, who is assigned female at birth, who lives as a woman, who is a woman just like me and and all the other women in the world, has been restricted from competing because her natural testosterone levels are higher than a randomly decided number that has been used to try to limit her competition and the competition of other women and transgender women. And that's where we get into a problem. And to your point, Fitz, it's about research and understanding and not drawing harsh lines without accepting that there's much more of that to be done.
2: Well, and I asked you before the show, and I think this is an important thing to, to also be real with people. Like, there's so little information. My, my question to you is, should we just press pause on everything while we get more information? And it's such a fair point that doing that denies everybody that's currently fighting yeah. the opportunity to be a part of something. Like, so it's one of the things like, I wish we had more info. We don't. And that means we have to collect the info in real time while we're going to figure out how to do all of this. It's very And difficult. that's why
1: I say now I err on the side of humanity and inclusion and participation uh, fair, over fair. the side of I'm mad if somebody wins. That's where I err right now. Getting back to the NBA at the All-Star break next.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Touching you. Oh, I know this
4: song.
0: Reaching out. This is a song that man always Touching you. Sweet Caroline. Sweet Caroline. Oh, oh, oh. That's close. I mean, figure it <laughs> What's out. Spain and Fitz
2: on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM channel eighty. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. A little bit of flavor there as uh, they try and guess. I, I don't know, Sarah. Do you feel like you could do that with basically anybody? It, the most tone deaf friend you have, like, because you you know a lot of different music and you're good with yeah. lyrics. Like, I'm terrible even, at knowing lyrics and song names. Even so Boban, I think I'd get lost. Yeah.
1: maybe not. Uh, that yeah, that was Bobon and Luca. Um, I could I could kill at name that tune. It's usually like, give me one note or two notes, but Boban wasn't exactly using notes there. So I'm not sure,
2: Uh, but I,
1: I I feel pretty confident that, um, I could survive at that game with almost anyone based either on lyrics or narrowly getting near the, the melody.
2: Yeah, I mean that was that was named that tone deaf is what that really yeah. was as they tried to figure it out. Now name
3: we're having a little bit of fun. Word that sounds like another word.
2: <laughs> uh, we're having a little bit of fun because the NBA All Star Break is happening uh, this weekend. Obviously, all the festivities going down there. But in case you weren't paying attention, the NBA All Star Break does not come at the halfway point of the season. In fact, it comes about two thirds of the way through the season. So we are now into the mad dash of the final third of the NBA regular season. As crazy as it is. To say that out loud. And it raises some real questions, especially especially in the conference that you care about the most, Sarah, because God knows in the back mm-hmm. third of the season the Bulls will be trying to get in the zone. Get in the zone. Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. Auto zone. But the Bulls are going to be in a tightly packed East. So I thought we could have a little bit of fun, take a look at some of the different areas across the NBA. But we'll start there. Out, let, let's start with your level of confidence using the Bulls. How confident are you that Chicago is going to pull it out in the East?
1: Um, you know, I wish I could say that I'm certain that, that, that they are, uh, as good as their current rating of slide in at second is, but I I'm looking around at some of those teams and the heat look very primed to build on a great start when everybody's healthy. They look like a team that knows how to win the Sixers already with Embiid playing the way he has now adding Harden. Yeah. They lost a couple smaller pieces, but I think that could be a really formidable team. And then the Bucks. We saw them win it last year. Giannis is better in almost every statistical category. They're probably a better team than they were last year. They just need to decide when they want to really kick it into high gear. That usually happens with a team that's a defending champion. So the Bulls get back Ball and Caruso. It completely changes how they play. Their liability on defense in the interior has always been an issue with Vooch, but that's not as big of a problem when Ball and Caruso are manning the perimeter making the other team have trouble setting up in the half court, scoring on breaks, uh, just disrupting, and they've been out. So I think the Bulls have a – I would not be surprised if the Bulls ran it in the East, but I would not choose them over those other teams uh, right
2: now. Sometimes who you play matters so much that that influences the way I see the remaining portion of the season. And if you go to tankathon.com where they check out the remaining strength of schedule from this point forward in the NBA – the Bucks have the hardest remaining schedule, but it's barely more difficult than Chicago. And mm. Miami has the sixteenth, right right around the middle. I, I think all of the who you play is going to matter a lot in an east where everybody 's packed in so tightly, I feel like it 's miami 's east to take simply because they have an easier path to get there and it's it 's a pretty dramatically easier path to get there but that doesn 't mean well yeah and that also by the way doesn 't mean that I think Miami's going to rep the east by the time we get to the NBA Finals, but by the time we get to the end of the regular season, I think there 's a pretty good path that could lead the the heat to being the one seed going into the playoffs. If, if we're talking like into the playoffs, I'm still not betting against the Bucs. I mean, once the Bucks are able to get themselves healthy and get that give-a-damn in, I feel like the Bucks are going to be just fine. Like I, I, I see no reason to bet against Milwaukee in the East.
1: Jay Williams was on KJ and Max this morning, uh, not surprisingly since it's his show, but he talked about <laughs> uh, what I alluded to, which is that Embiid is a big reason that he's got the Sixers.
5: Here's how I look at it, y'all. I mean, watching that game last night, I was watching a guard in a seven foot body that weighs two hundred and sixty damn pounds, Keith. It was the physical contact that he would be able to create that he could power through with the shiftiness of Akeem Olajuwon with Kobe like shot making ability as a seven footer. Like it's um I, I mean it, and I, they closed the game out down the stretch. It got a little bit t- a little bit tight, but I just I walked away saying, I know where the Miami Heat are ranked, and I know what they bring to the table. I know what the Chicago Bulls, I know where they're ranked, number one and two in the Eastern Conference, and I'm, a Chicago, I'm an ex-Chicago Bull guy. I love the Bulls. I think DeMar DeRozan is having one hell of a year. He's in the conversation. But Philadelphia, with the way Joel Embiid is playing right now, with the addition of James Harden, they're the clear-cut favorite to come out of the East.
1: And I was just at a Bulls-Sixers game, and – I'll tell you, it, uh, Embiid is a load, and that was before adding Harden. Now, again, that's without some of the uh, Bulls players that need to come back that change the game Zach Levine wasn't playing in that matchup Ball and Caruso need to come back and get that defense back going Um, but it was a scary sight when Joel Embiid is on and I'm very intrigued Fitz and I don't know if you have a strong feeling on this of how that team could be potentially negatively affected of trying to bring in someone like Harden that can change things around I I think optimistically he's going to be a great addition but there is always a possibility that it just throws off something that's been clicking for, for
2: a while here in Philly yeah I'm, I'm out on the move for that reason like I understand that they weren't getting anything out of Ben Simmons so it's easy to say that Philly uh, was able to get something for nothing I understand that but Ramona Shelburne talked to us about it earlier tonight and I think it's important to note you know when you don't have a lot of games remaining and now you've got to get everybody together and get some level of rhythm there I, I think that's going to be really difficult to do and we're just presuming that Harden will accept whatever this role is that he's going to need to play in this process, which, uh, you know, while I understand the concept of that, I also think it's really difficult for somebody that's used to being the guy in those sorts of situations now realizing that, you know, to what was it? Ramona said he has one, uh, one, one three this year where it's just been jump shoot. Like there's been one time. So like I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, man, that does not speak well to the 76ers. Everybody else around them has at least some level of continuity and understanding to who they are. Is there a team that you look at through the last third of the season that you really think is going to free fall that you don't believe in?
1: I, I'm still trying to figure out how real the Cavs are. Maybe that's unfair at this point when they're winning at a 600 clip and they've they've lasted this long. Maybe that's unfair. I d- I don't think they can hang. I also think that s- recent stretch of of nine of ten from the Celtics, um, they certainly fixed a lot and a lot of it was effort there. I think the second best, they're the best defensive team in the league since December second best overall. Defensively so much of that was effort and that's what we heard um early on was the problem, but I I still think a couple things start to, to feel off for them. The infighting, the frustration comes back. Um so I I think the Celtics could slide in the Cavs as well.
2: Yeah, I I'm still think the Nets have a lot ahead of them that could be a problem down the the, the course of the season. And also Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte's free-falling right now. They're going to free-fall their way right out of that play-in tournament. I think the Wizards are going to end up sneaking into this, and, and not that there's a lot for the play-in tournament standpoint of it, but I do think the play-in tournament could look totally different uh, in the East. In the West, it feels like it's a little bit more – Like, everything's sort of a little bit more lined up. Like, I don't know what to expect for the Lakers. I I don't know that there's really anything to expect. But when you look through the first six, let's say, in the West, I feel like they're all kind of – they're all set where they are. Like, I I don't look and see that there's going to be some big dramatic change in the West.
1: Yeah, uh, Fitz, I'm getting frustrated because if you recall, we established some rules that we were going to follow, and two of those rules involved Tom Brady and LeBron James. Now, Tom Brady (laughs) uh, went ahead and got beat after I said, I'm not going to pick against Tom Brady anymore, and then uh, he promptly lost. And then LeBron, uh, after I finally said, okay, no matter what things look like in the regular season, no matter what his teammates look like, I'm I'm not going to pick against LeBron anymore. The team looks like trash a d is heard again out at least a month that's when he'll be reevaluated and they don't look like a great contending team even when they have him healthy so man, they're trying to mess with these rules right away they're they're immediately trying to knock me off uh when i when I finally gave in to them and said, "Okay fine, you've convinced me
2: i mean that the funniest thing to me is that somehow yet again the lakers have managed to eclipse the Clip- clippers uh, this time in the level of chaos but also right. it takes a little attention away from how bad things have gone for the clippers as well you know it's this is i just keep laughing at where we were a couple of years ago, there was a media sitting here saying, oh, Lakers, Clippers, this is going to be everything. And instead, it's like, no, I mean, Phoenix and Golden State, you know, and according to Vegas, Phoenix and Golden State are the two big favorites to win it all this year. You know, I, I, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, mm-hmm. Phoenix has done nothing but continue to play incredibly well and not get a ton of attention for it, and Golden State is absolutely dominant. So as much as, uh, as we joked about earlier, my like of – Memphis, I, I think it's okay to admit that there's a clear line between Phoenix, Golden State, and the rest of the West.
1: Agreed. Agreed. It'll be fascinating to continue watching, like like Ramona said, the Mavs, um, keeping an eye on the Jazz as well um there's there's some exciting and interesting teams in the West, but I do think it's not nearly obviously as packed as the East, and there is that sort of line of the top too you're You mentioned us not talking about the suns enough. I agree with that. I think the revelation of last season maybe has dulled us a bit to it because last year we were still reacting to and being surprised by what c p three had done and how that had changed that team. We were still opening our eyes to how superstar um in the making had become a full-on star in Devin Booker and will be for quite some time and now we're taking them for granted they 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 won what 18 or 19 to start the season and now we're like ah they lost a couple so we won't talk about them for a while and uh they, they are continuing to make us talk about them with what they're doing
2: Yeah, and DeAndre Ayton, you know, obviously he's missed some games, but when he has been in, uh, has been a force, too. Like, I just look at Phoenix and think it's going to be fun to watch them go through another playoff run, obviously, uh, because we didn't expect it last time, and this time we're going to be dialed in from the outset. All right, we'll, we'll keep you updated on everything you need to know throughout the course of the NBA, but there's also big Major League Baseball news and a surprising development in Matthew Stafford's situation in L.A. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
2: It's
4: Frye. It's
2: Frye edition. It's a little half-ass yell on it, Sarah, but yeah, I tried. Like yeah. it was sort of there. Like it's you more know, more of a
1: Frye. Well, his fr- Fry. Hey.
2: Friday, there we go. It is a Friday edition of Spain and Fitz, and obviously All Star Weekend has everybody thinking the NBA. But let's not forget that every single day gives us new opportunities to figure out what's happening next in the world of Major League Baseball, and that answer is no baseball. Uh, well, th- let's just say so far that we now at least know that there will be a delay. Major League Baseball has delayed the start of spring training until March 5th. CBA negotiations will resume on Monday. I I, I get to want for the weekend, Sarah. I do. Like, hey, you know what? Everybody involved wants to have a nice Saturday, Sunday. They want to be able to go to a little brunch, maybe get some over crisp bacon. That's fine. But, like, what's mm-hmm. more important than getting this whole deal done? Like, you, you guys couldn't do – like, I can solve this all for you. Bring everybody into the room. And just give everybody donuts. And while everybody eats delicious cake donuts, they'll figure out that they have more in common than they think, and everybody will be just fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one solution. I will say that um, Jeff Passan uh, said this exact thing about those of you asking why not sooner. He said, one of the things that struck me for months now is a majority of industry people believe a deal could come together very quickly and that things will accelerate at the end of February. Monday may not be ideal, but offers plenty of time. While exact plans are not finalized, MLB and the Players Association intend to hold mul- multiple bargaining sessions, perhaps every day, straight Monday. So that, you know, it, it doesn't feel ideal to wait any longer, but that it feels like once you get past those big economic issues, it could start spinning and moving pretty quickly. I will say, as someone who is leaving for Arizona and allegedly spring training next Friday and has now been told for sure that there won't be any baseball games until the 5th and might not even start then, it's kind of a bummer. Uh, I'm not the priority here. Uh, I know that's hard to believe. Uh, And I will now be turning my trip into spring break instead of spring training. Uh, I often do that anyway, sort of an adult spring break in terms of the uh, amount of alcohol and other things consumed. But it's just not the same when I don't get to pretend it's about baseball and then drink around it before and during it.
2: You know what? Over the years of working together, I've learned uh, to take advice from my friend Sarah Spain. And there are times that she says, you know, she's a little worried about me during Raiders games. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm drinking too much. Like, I've seen some of the footage from these Arizona trips. Are you sure you really need to convert it into anything? Are we sure that's a good idea?
1: certainly don't need to. Uh, I certainly would not be advised to. I certainly, after a brief tiptoe back into the waters during Super Bowl week, have recognized that I am no longer the uh, chippy young chicken that I used to be. Uh, But I'm still going to get after it. I'm just going to do it without the baseball to slow me down, which uh, now that I say it aloud is a real worry. It's actually a big concern now that I (laughs) say that out loud that there will be no baseball to slow me down.
2: That is alarming. Uh, Buster Olney, ESPN Baseball Insider was on Keyshawn J. Will and Max. And uh, really put, put the ball squarely in the court of one side of this when it comes to getting this thing done.
3: It's the owners who need to take that big step forward because they have the most financial ground. They have the most leverage. You know, the line I gave you uh, you know, before was that, you know, in the mid 90s, the perception was that the union had the better lawyers. Well, the perception now is that the owners did and that manifested in 2016 for sure. So it's the owners who need to take a big step forward. Um, and I and I'll, I'll continue to say this. I have felt like this over the last six or seven years. There needs to be real engagement. We heard about this, you know, uh, negotiation yesterday. Fifteen minutes
1: Yeah. Yeah. 15 minutes. I mean, the thing is, uh, I I can't remember what uh, they they were, you know, like a hundred million dollars off from each other the last, so it's not an easy fix, but I do think some of the, once they get past those enormous financial issues, some of the other stuff is, is stuff that they can work in and, and, and get to. So, um, you know, it's, The thing that that does suck is that I think there's a lot more empathy and feeling for the players this time around than ever before, but the longer it lasts, the more they lose that as well because fans just want to see baseball. And so even if you understand that the leverage on the owner side and the league side is such that that the players have to hold out in order to keep pushing for what they want, that doesn't matter much to people who are missing their their baseball.
2: Yeah, this is the important time to remind everybody that the owners are selfish, the players are selfish, and the fans are selfish because, right. frankly, the owners are only looking out for themselves. The players realize they have a small window where they can make as much money as possible, so they're looking out for themselves. And then fans are turning around yelling at everybody because what fans really want is baseball. And and it, it only, you know, I'll harken back to what we were talking about a little while ago about humanity and all of this. It's amazing in sports in general how quickly many of us as fans – lose any concept of humanity for the individuals that are involved unless those individuals are the owners because we seem to always just want our product. At the, at the end of the day, right. that's what, what any of us want. We just want to watch the, the team that we love, and we don't really care what it takes to make that happen.
1: Well, sports is one of the only places where we get tricked into like siding with the man. Right. Because the man is our team, essentially, as much as the players matter to us a ton, the, the uniforms stay the same and the people wearing them change, and so we tend to align with whatever's best for our team, even if we understand that the people running it are in the wrong. And that's one of the few places where we constantly get sucked into being mad at players whose salaries we know, instead of being mad at owners whose billions we might not have the exact number on, uh, and yet uh, we, we tend to defend their, their desires.
2: I mean that was it came up uh, as I was talking to people during the Super Bowl. Uh, Somebody was talking about how, uh, when you look at the contracts some of these players make, it's absurd, and nobody should be paying athletes this much. And I just I was like, okay, well, what do you think happens if we just stop paying the players? Like, what what do you think happens? But also,
1: where do you think where do you want the money to go? Right. All the money that we're spending on concessions and tickets and merchandise, you, 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 that's the problem. You don't see the owners raking in all that money. Right. Or you somehow um, subconsciously or intentionally believe it's okay for a rich white owner to have that money. But when it's introduced as a successful black athlete, all of a sudden it seems like a problem.
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, you have to, to look at all of this and say, okay, the, the ticket prices aren't going to go back down. Like, it's not like owners are going to suddenly wake up next week and be like, oh, you know what, our, our overhead's lower, so we'll charge way less. Right. Like, it is what it is in this world now. So you're either choosing to let your team owner rake in all of the cash, or you're choosing to let the individuals fight for more of it for themselves. And And frankly, whichever side of it, again, I think people just want to see the team that they love play, but... I'm always going to side on the the opportunity of players to go get theirs if they can, and this is no different. If players can force their way into making more money, they should.
1: Agreed. Agreed. And and the question is, can they wait it out long enough? Because that's always going to be the issue in these. The owners are always going to have way more leverage than players. Baseball, less so than, say, football because of length of career. But you're still missing one of the minimal amount of years that you have to compete and make that money, whereas the owners have so much more.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.